Welcome to Smart Software with Smart Logic, a podcast where we talk about best practices in web and mobile software development with a focus on new and emerging technologies. My name is Justice Eapen, and I'll be your host today. I'm a developer here at Smart Logic, a Baltimore-based consulting company that has been building custom web and mobile software applications since 2005. For my team today, it is my privilege, my honor to be joined by my colleague and fellow alchemist, Eric Ostrich. Say hi, Eric. Hello, everyone. And the dulcet tones on the other end of the line are, is our good friend and uh, regular guest from season one, Todd Resedek. How are you doing, Todd? Hi, Justice. Now, Todd, you were on our first season of Smart Software, so we're not going to do the whole, you know, what's your job thing. You work at Weed Maps, you've been using Elixir, you've been a regular on the conference circuit. It's always a pleasure to see you at the conferences. You're really like a, a bright and shining light in the community, very sociable, very inclusive. It's really a pleasure. You've given so many talks. I think you have more talks at various Elixir conferences than maybe anyone except for like Jose. Um, and Eric. And Eric. No, you definitely have more than Eric, I think. Maybe not. Someone can verify that one way or another. But if people want to know more about you, a good place to start would actually be our first episode that we did with you for season one. Yeah, nothing's changed. Still just have the four kids. But uh, yeah, still in Denver. So check out season one if you want to know more. And come to Aurora, Colorado uh, in the end of August if you want to meet all of us in person. Yeah, come find us. Eric's going to kick us off with some uh, open source questions. If Eric, you want to take it away? Yeah. All right. So for this season, we're kind of digging deep into Elixir, right? So what was the first library that you contributed to and how did you get started? Yeah. So quick plug for a library. So when I first got started, when I, I think it was probably my first or second meetup up in uh, Boulder, I was learning about the ecosystem and I asked one of the guys there if there was an analog to Ruby gems in the Elixir world. And he told me about Hex. So one thing that I like to do when I'm like trying out a new language or if I'm trying to learn a new language, especially is I, I take an existing library, usually one that I've already written and uh, I try to port it over into that new ecosystem. So in this case, I ported over a Ruby gem that I made, I don't know, a couple or a few years back now called Alphabetify. And that was, I guess, my challenge on learning Elixir as well as uh, learning Hex, I guess. And what is Alphabetify? Oh, yeah. Alphabetify makes short alphabetic or alphanumeric hashes. You can define what characters you want to use. And so it's, uh, I guess it's primarily, it could be used as a very easily rememberable short ID for objects or whatever. So it will start at, you know, A, capital A, and it will keep moving itself up in sequence. So it'll be A and then B and then C. And then as it runs out of letters there, it'll go to double A and then A, B, et cetera. And so the Ruby version uh, stored the last hash used in a file, just in a flat file. And so for Alphabetify and Elixir, I, it was sort of my first foray into learning about ETS and DETS. And so um, in this case, I used the disk ETS so that it would persist. So it doesn't require a database or anything like that. It sort of stores its own previous state in debts. And we've talked about these on the show before, but could you give a quick introduction to ETS? Yeah, I guess the way I think about ETS is it's basically like a built-in Redis. So really simple key value store that's built into Erlang. And uh, what's nice about it is it stores Erlang terms. 
in their native form. So you don't have to like serialize and deserialize. I guess it's not objects. It would be more like structs or terms in this sense. And then debts is just instead of being in memory, it stores to a file on the disk. And also a lot of people, I think, will store in ETS because it's a little faster and then also like back it up in debts for persistence. So obviously your memory and your ETS store doesn't stick around once your process crashes or once you restart your machine. So need a way to rehydrate it. So I think that's probably one of the more common uses for the disk-based ETS storage. All right. And one other thing that we like to ask is, um, does your company Weed Maps help or let you contribute to open source at all? Yeah. It's one of the, I think it's one of the things that we've been focusing on for maybe the last year or so at Weed Maps is our open source contributions. And because of the nature of our business, a lot of the people that work there are lawyers. And so they're really, really apprehensive about IP leaking out. And so their instinct is to say, absolutely, like, do not contribute to open source or don't contribute anything you work on at Weedmaps into open source because if there's a 0.001% chance that some of it is, is IP that we want to retain uh, or keep proprietary, you know, it's not worth it to them. So they're thinking with their lawyer hats. As engineers, we're like really trying to get the company to uh, loosen that up so we can start contributing to projects under like the Weedmaps name. But for now, there's a group of us that are contributing under our own, you know, accounts. So obviously, I contribute to Hex. And then we also have some guys that work on Rebar 3 and uh, some on Ecto and Elixir in the core, as well as just a few various libraries. And one other guy that has been working pretty hard on the telemetry project this last year. So, and WeedMaps gives us 10% time. So, you know, it comes down to basically like every Friday afternoon or every other Friday, basically, you just can work on open source stuff. One of the things that we wanted to dive into on in this conversation, Todd, was Hex, because you've spoken about it a number of times at conferences. You are the third most prolific contributor on the project. I'm curious, like, how did you get involved with Hex? How did you... Uh, you know, I've actually got a link right here to your first pull request and I was thinking about diving into it. Maybe you could dive into it and uh, talk a little bit about getting started on the Hex team. Yeah, um, let's take a look at it. So those who aren't familiar, like Hex is a pretty big collection of different repositories. So there's the Hex CLI, Hex PM, which is the website that you go to or the API that you hit, as well as like Hex Docs. So those would be, I think, the the ones that people interact with the most, but behind the scenes, there's also a few other repos like HexCore. And so uh, I primarily work on the CLI and on HexPM. And uh, honestly, it's kind of hard to work on one without working on the other because the API that's involved. So yeah, this first PR was just basically like making the output more explanatory when you get dependencies. So yeah, in this case, it was just an issue that had been sitting in the Hex GitHub repo and decided to pick it up. And uh, I hit up uh, Eric Meadows Johnson, I think, when I first started this to uh, ask him, like, how do I get started? How do I, like, run Hex locally? And so he kind of got me started on the right track. And, uh, and yeah, basically, anytime there's, like, a feature that comes up that either somebody suggested or that one of us on the core team thinks of, I'm usually like anxious to work on stuff that's in the CLI. So I want to dive into some of this a little bit more because Hex is so central to the community. And 
as the Elixir community grows. You know, one of the things you talked about in one of your talks was like the hex organization not respecting trademarks and that sort of thing from existing companies. So like anybody can come and grab a name as long as they've got an actual active project. Like who are the maintainers on Hex and like how are these decisions made? How how do you guys decide what the rules are and enforce them? Is it just you and Eric and and uh Wojtek? Uh Wojtek. Yeah so yeah so Eric Middles Johnson and Wojtek Mock are the other two like core members on Hex and they've been both been working on it, you know considerably longer than I have. As far as, uh, I guess, policies, like the things I think that you're referring to would be like infringing on names. So if you, um, if somebody's trying to like use your trademark name, they would just need to email one of us. So support at hex.pm. And we would try to come up to with a resolution to that. And then uh, also if there's like, if somebody tries to pick a name that's very similar to an existing package, hoping to like catch people that have typos and stuff, we get notifications on that. So whenever you publish a package, we analyze its name and get a Levenstein distance between all other existing packages. And so if it's Levenstein distance is calculated to be too close, we get an email that like shows us what the new package is and then what the packages are that are within that range or that distance. In this case, it's sort of like the three up to the three of us to uh, use our best judgment on whether they're trying to like take somebody else's name or, or typo squat or if, if it's just honestly like if it's two different packages. Does that answer your question? Is that what you were getting at? It does to some extent. I'm also just curious about generally speaking, like is there an organization behind Hex or is it really just sort of the three independent maintainers? And Because there's also, you know, hosted Hex, you know, which is like a for-profit aspect of what Hex does. So I'm just curious, like what is, you know, how do, how do you and Eric and Wojtek work together on that? Yeah. So there is an LLC or an S corp. You'd have to ask Eric what it is behind Hex. And I think that was primarily set up for the paid version of Hex, but generally as a group, like decisions that are made are made between the three of us, as well as uh, Jose typically make decisions. As far as like the financials go, I don't really take a look at that or have access to those specifically. And uh, to be honest, Eric Meadows Johnson is the guy that really makes all the high level stuff work, I guess. I shouldn't say all the decisions, but he he makes sure all the high level stuff is taken care of. And and I think part of the reason I'm asking these questions is I I think it was probably the last ElixirConf when they announced the, what is this called? The Elixir and Erlang Foundation or Something like that. Eric, maybe you can correct me on that. E-L-R-F. I'm not sure what that expands to. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, there's a working group for the build tools, and Wojtek represents us on that. So, uh, Wojtek, Tristan Slaughter, and Fred Bear are the ones in that working group right now. And so, yeah, I don't have a lot of insight into what's going on in their working group right now. Wojtek hasn't, like, I haven't spoken to him directly about it. But yeah, I know Eric, I know you know Wojtek, so we should hit him up. Yeah, we actually just, uh, the day we're recording this, the his episode of Elixir Mix came out. So you can learn more different stuff about Hex on that. <laughs> yeah, so, I listened to it this morning. I guess part of the reason I'm asking these questions is because, you know, as the community has grown, you, we've gotten this Erlang Foundation thing that's going on, and we've got these like different institutions that are sort of building up around the community, and it's 
sort of an interesting indicator of the growth. And so I'm actually going to skip to a question that we have later in the talk because I think it's relevant. Something that you talked about in your Elixir Days talk from probably a year ago or more than a year ago um, was you compared the number of packages that are on Hex to the number of packages that are on Ruby Gems and the number of packages on NPM. I'm curious if you've got more up-to-date numbers on that from more recent than the talk. And I'm also like, what do you think about like what that says about the size of the community, the robustness of the community, the growth of the Elixir community? Yeah. So I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but in orders of magnitude, you could think of Hex being around 10,000, Ruby being around 100,000, and then NPM being probably closer to a million libraries in those package managers. And so, yeah, I think part of it is age and the size of the community. So Ruby has been around a lot longer than Elixir has. And so naturally, there's going to be more people contributing to it. And then part of it is just the design, I guess, of the ecosystem. So in the JavaScript community, I think they've made a decision that no matter how trivial something is, it should be a library. And people are really comfortable pulling in libraries for what I think other people might consider kind of trivial things. And so if you look at a, an Elixir project and a Ruby project and an NPM project and look at the dependency tree, I mean, you're going to see a, a pretty huge difference generally, unless you're doing something really wrong. You're going to see a really big difference between those dependency trees. And um, I mean, I think there's advantages and disadvantages to each. I think, I mean, honestly, if you're an NPM and you have, you know, 3,500 libraries in your application, it's really hard for you to honestly say that you've audited the code that's in each one of them and it's doing what you think it's doing and nothing extra. Um, so I think you I think you have to just admit that like there is code that is in your application that you have no idea what it is or what it does exactly, which is fine too. It's a really quick way to get things done. I think if you look at Elixir, if, if you look at the Hex system as well as I think Crates is a, another good example, like it'll be more comparable to Hex. So Crates is the package manager for the Rust ecosystem. And so I think if you look at like two languages that probably have around the same size communities, I think there's a lot more like parity between those two package managers than between Hex and PM, for instance. So, and I think also in Elixir that it's not... This is just my conjecture, I guess, but I don't think it's it's a first language for most people. And so there's not as many people running to like wrap APIs in libraries. Like people are more comfortable using uh, their own HTTP clients and just like hitting APIs themselves with code that they, they build themselves rather than to have to pull down a, a library for everything. And like I said, that's conjecture, but that's what I've observed, I guess, in the in the community. Yeah, I'd agree with that sentiment, at least. Whether it's, it's true or not, I guess we'll never know. But I've definitely myself made a concerted effort to not reach for any kind of API and just do the like, it's like the teeny bit of work myself. Uh, just for the sake of accuracy, I looked at the stats and there are just about 10,000 packages on Hex and uh, Ruby. There's about 150,000 gems. Uh, but I think the more interesting number on the hex side is actually the, the number of downloads in the last seven days in the last week, there've been 12 and a half million downloads from hex. So I think that does say something about how busily the community is working at um, using the packages that have been created. I mean, that's just a mind. That's a huge number. The total 
downloads is 641 million, which is just a mind-bogglingly large number. So it is a very robust community at this point, and that's very exciting. Yeah, definitely. Those are big numbers, but probably minuscule compared to NPM's numbers. Well, compared to NPM, sure. I'm curious if what the trend of growth looks like compared to like Ruby. Like, has Ruby plateaued? Is Elixir still growing? Those are the questions that I'm sure people will be looking up after listening to this. Yeah, I think you could take a look to get a historical idea, but I do think the Ruby is still growing faster than Elixir, or at least if you're going to measure it by the number of packages that exist, more Ruby packages are added every month than Hex packages are added. But Hex is, if you look at a trajectory over the last two to three years, let's say, the trajectory on Hex looks pretty great. So in raw numbers, though, it's, I think it's still dwarfed by, by the others. So, and I should say, you know, for me, I think that's good. I think it's a healthy growth, but we also at Hex, we benefit from sort of a low profile. So us core maintainers, as well as I'm sure a bunch of other people that are interested in Hex are constantly following other package managers and specifically like features that get added as well as like security issues that are recognized. And so at Hex, like we benefit from the fact that like those vectors are generally revealed in other package managers rather than ours. And so it gives us time to make sure that's not a security vector that we have or to fill it in before somebody attempts it on hex. So for me, that's, it's, there's a little bit of comfort not being the honeypot, I guess. Eric, we have here some questions on maintenance and support. Yeah, so I guess we can move on. So you find that you spend a lot of time developing and supporting hex? Yeah, I think it goes in in spurts for me. It just depends on what else I have going on. So, you know, my work obligations at Weedmaps come up first. And then, yeah, and then other like personal things as well. But I spend a fair amount of time. I, you can usually make time when there's something that I know I want to be working on. So, yeah, I, I would say like most other open source developers, it's I might go crazy on it for a couple of weeks and then take a couple of weeks off. And outside of the three or four of you core developers, do you find a lot of other developers kind of jumping on and helping out Hex here and there? Yeah, I think we mostly get, like other contributors will uh, come in with either bugs that they found, report issues of bugs that they found, or feature requests that they have, and that gets us talking. And then, yeah, there's a few people that, you know, they usually come in in waves and we'll put in a few PRs and then move along to whatever they need. So yeah, I think it's like any other open source community. Um, I don't think Hex is the most high profile open source project in the Elixir community. So I think a lot of people are attracted by, you know, the language itself, for instance, more than Hex. But I would hope and I would encourage anybody that's interested in getting involved in open source in Elixir specifically to check out Hex and Hex PM for open issues and features. Because there's definitely plenty to work on there. And uh, it's a really great project. So I think we might have mentioned this last time, but Hex is, is one of the few parts of the ecosystem that everybody uses as well as, you know, a lot of people in Erlang. So if you use Rebar 3 in Erlang to pull in libraries, you're also using Hex. So like literally 100% of Elixir developers and, you know, a fair share of Erlang developers are using Hex. So I don't think there's any other part of the ecosystem that you can really say that about. So I think it is a really important part of our part of our language. So our next question here is still about hex. We want to know if there are 
maybe it says top five, but you can give any number of little known hex features or um, super useful tips that come to mind. Yeah, I think the one that I got the most feedback from is being able to pull down documentation locally. So Hex will allow you to like fetch documentation and so it's installed on your computer and allow you to browse the Elixir docs you know, locally. So if you are without an internet connection during a commute or a flight or something and you want to read up about a library, Hex makes it really easy to do that. So some of the other like newer features, if we can get into that, of Hex would be like the diffing, the package diffing. And that's something that Wojtek just merged in relatively recently. And so uh, for those that aren't familiar, it allows you to take a package and then give it two release versions. And you can see the difference in the code between those. And so for those of us who like to like audit code as we're doing our, our Hex updates, you know, this gives you a really easy way to find out like what the new code is that you're adding to your application. So you know, not only useful for API changes, but also really useful for security stuff. And I guess continuing with that, uh, some of the newer features of Hex, what else is there? Yeah, so newer stuff that's like, I guess in the last six months is Hex Docs got a little bit of an upgrade. So earlier this year, we launched the version switcher. So in your documentation, like if you go to the Elixir language documentation, you see in the top left corner, like it'll it'll default to 191 and then you can click the button and get a dropdown for any other version. And then also uh, something very new is if you just type the letter G on those pages, you can go to any other package. So if you're on, you know, Elixir's kernel docs, type G, it'll give you, it'll pop up a modal with a search and, you know, you can type in Ecto, for instance, and go right to the Ecto documentation. Besides that, you know, a lot of my attention, I guess, has been around security stuff. And so like one of the easier things I guess that we've done is alerting you whenever you're making major upgrades. So if you do a, an update to your dependencies, you'll get some feedback in the CLI whenever you've like crossed a boundary. So either it's in a, in Semver, if you're in a zero major, then it'll alert you whenever you've stepped up a minor version. And then anything above zero, it'll alert you whenever you've stepped up a major version, emailing you whenever you publish. So if somebody publishes a package or somebody publishes a package under your name, hopefully it was you, uh, we now send you an email to let you know, hey, this just happened. And if it wasn't you, here are the steps that you should take now. And I think that was primarily related to the issue that occurred recently for the strong password gem in RubyGems, where somebody gained access to a a hex or a, a Ruby Gems account and published a malicious code to an existing gem. Eric's been working on improving our checksum. There was a vulnerability found in that recently. It would be very, very unlikely that somebody would be able to take advantage of it. But working on that, I recently pushed a have I been pawned integration to hex PM and I'm working on the CLI now. And so if you're not familiar, it's a uh, it's a service that basically checks to see if your password has been uh, compromised as part of like a data breach somewhere in the world of the internets. And so now when you log into HexPM or if you change your password, it will analyze that password and see if it's been breached elsewhere. And if so, it'll let you know so that you can change it and pick a more secure password. And then just other things like surfacing who published a version of a package, making that like more clear. So that way if... Uh, you know, if, if let's say you're downloading Ecto and Eric or Jose normally publish it and all of a sudden you see, you know, Joe Schmo published this 
most recent version of Ecto could alert you to like say, oh, maybe somebody has gained access to their account. Maybe I should double, triple check this version of Ecto before I add it to my application. And then another like really nice feature that Wojtek has been working on, and I think he just launched it as of the recording of this, is Mini Repo. And so Mini Repo is sort of the a step towards making it easier to host your own private Hex repository. So it's always been possible, but I would say admittedly never been easy. And so Mini Repo is, is a step in that direction. This is all great stuff that you guys have been working on. Of course, like security is probably every developer's um, central concern when thinking about pulling new open source tools into their stack. I'm curious, though, if you could talk a little bit, and probably you're more excited to talk about this too, is like what's coming down the pipe? What's on your roadmap for Hex? Yeah, thanks. So um, obviously more security stuff. So we have to keep vigilance on that. But we are, I should say Eric, but are working on a better resolver algorithm. So uh, right now resolving dependencies it generally works fine, but there are times when it gets kind of stuck in loops or can't resolve itself. So you have like two dependencies that maybe have uh, transitive dependencies that just don't jive. And so Eric is working on a way to like make the resolver faster and better in that sense. Uh, we're also... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, don't mean to interrupt. Well, actually I do. What is, for like a total noob, what is a resolver? Yeah, so if you think about it, this in your mix, you could be defining very specific version, like down to the patch level of a library that you want to pull in. But more than likely, you're not like you may be defining down to a minor version or even a major version. And so um, if you have, let's say, Phoenix, and you have JSON serializer, and both of those have a transitive dependency, meaning they are a dependency, but they require another dependency. And let's say they require the JSON library. One may have a specific requirement set on it, like it may be set to 1.0, and the other may be set to 0.1. And so the resolver goes through and says, like, I have a need for two, you know, this transitive dependency from two places, and like, how do I coalesce their version requirements and get find one that matches both of their requirements? And so that specifically is not something that happens in every package manager. So NPM, for instance, like uses multiple transitive dependencies. So you can have, you would in that case, just have two versions of JSON in your application and their namespace to whatever library pulled them in. And so like they don't have the resolver issue. And then, uh, and like rebar three, for instance, works a little bit differently, uses a Maven style um, resolver. So it will be a little bit more optimistic and pick the one that it thinks will work the best and it just sort of assumes that it will work for both. And that's the best explanation of it I can give you based on what I've heard from Tristan. So yeah, so that's what the resolver does. Um, we also have like some issues with packages that don't follow uh, Semver 2.0. Sometimes it's the package manager kind of assumes that your packages follow uh, semantic versioning. And if they don't, it can make it very difficult for the resolver to figure things out. So yeah, and besides that on the roadmap, sorry if we can move on. Well, actually, I do want to ask a question because I've got like these naive questions that I'm, I'm burning to know about. But like, is there a reason that you couldn't do kind of like either automated or guided versioning? Like, like every time I push up Virtuoso, like just automatically do a minor unless I specify to do a major. Because every time I push, I do have to update the version, right? Or every time I update the package, I mean. 
Yeah, for any public packages, yeah, you they are immutable like once they've been published, so you can't republish the same release. And so I, I guess the uh, like semantic versioning would indicate that like we need to know more about what has changed in order to change the version number. So if you've changed the API completely, like it would need to step up a major. And um, I suppose like you're really into uh, machine learning and stuff justice. So maybe there is a way to figure out like how much of this has changed. But as of yet, I think we sort of depend on the developer to figure out what the, the next release version should be. Got it. And uh, now we can talk about Hex 2.0. Yeah, Hex 2.0. So we're currently at Hex 1.0, which is great. But one of the issues, I guess, or disadvantages of Hex 1.0 is that we build it to support all Elixir versions down to 1.0 and uh, OTP down to 17, which is important because we want to make sure that like the entire community, even if you have some legacy projects, can still use Hex. But unfortunately, it means that there are features that we can't use in Hex. So we're kind of coding to, to an older standard in some ways, um, or we have some fork logic in Hex uh, sometimes where we look at your version and and, but either way, that's sort of an unclean way to do things. So Eric has put it on a roadmap to do a Hex 2.0, which will be a hopefully a faster version that takes advantage of a lot of the new features that have come out in the last you know five years, I guess, of Elixir and OTP, as well as moving the API over to the Mint HTTP client, which has a requirement of Elixir 1.5. So yeah, don't worry, Hex 1.0 will continue to be supported like long into the future, but uh, Hex 2.0 will give us a way to kind of spread our wings a little bit more. Is this the first time someone's talked about Hex 2.0 publicly? Do we have an exclusive scoop right now? I think so. I think so. This is relatively new news. And so I may be scooping if Eric was going to announce this at ElixirConf or Jose was, maybe I'm not sure. So yeah, you may have the scoop on this one. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. Eric, go ahead. All right. So I think for our, our last uh, big question here, what else are you excited about? Any other cool projects or anything like that? Yeah. So in the little free time that I have, I'm involved in the Nerves Remote Meetup. And so I would encourage people, if you're interested in embedded technologies or just curious about Nerves in general, to join us. And the easiest way to find that is on Twitter. So at Nerves Meetup. And so we get together every month. It's totally remote. And we have some great people from all over the country that join us generally and, uh, and talk about what we're working on in NERVS. So um, I gave a talk on uh, really my first big NERVS project, I guess, at uh, Lone Star Elixir this year on the Dribble 2000. Um, I know both of you were there, so you saw that. And so I'm working on a new project for my talk at Gig City, which uh, I I won't tell you what it is yet, but yeah, that's one of the things I've, I've been doing and I've been in, interested in embedded uh, hardware for, I don't know, about five years or so, uh, but mostly Arduinos up until about a year or so ago when I started doing things a lot in nerves. Can you give us a hint? I don't want to give you a hint. So to advertise my projects is to advertise my future failures. So in <laughs> case it doesn't work out, I want to hedge that against that. So it's Wise going to be a cool project. It's going to be as cool as the Drizzle 2000, but different. <sighs> the Drizzle 2000 was so cool. Everyone should go listen to that talk. 
Todd, it's been a great conversation. We are out of time. I want to give you a chance to make any final plugs, asks for the audience, shameless self-promotion, anything along those lines. So social media where they can find you, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you can find me at an Elixir conference near you, assuming you're in North America. And so I would uh, encourage you to like come say hi. So I like to meet new people. That's how I met Justice was just... I don't remember how I met you. We were at ElixirConf 2017. I wanted meat-related apparel, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I didn't remember how we met, but yeah, we. Uh, so we've been friends ever since. So come say hi to me at ElixirConf or uh, Gig City or the Big Elixir uh, if you're there. And I should say this will be the first time uh, ElixirConf Aurora will be the first time that the entire Hexcore team, like all three of us, have been in the same place at the same time. So come get a photo with the entire Hexcore team. And uh, if something bad happens at the hotel, like it burns down or something, I apologize in advance, but somebody will have to take over Hex. So uh, I thought you were apologizing for burning the hotel. No, 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 no. I just said our, our bus factor will be zero. <laughs> the NSA three of us plus Jose will all be at Elixir Comp. So we have a very, our very low bus factor. That's right. Say hello to the intelligence so agents that just joined our call. Um, so yeah, on, on uh, Twitter. Oh, oh, hello there. Nice to see you again. So yeah, on Twitter, super simple with no vowels. So find me there or find me in real life. Yeah. Excellent. Todd Rosadek, thank you for being another time. Thank you for joining us again on Smart Software. We're always glad to have you. This has been an episode of Smart Software with Smart Logic, talking about Elixir internals. My co-host is Eric Ostrich. I am Justice Epen. Join us next time for more conversation on Elixir and software in general. We're glad to have you. Over and out. Over and out.